The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Delighted to be together with, with you, and thank you so much for spending some of your time. No, did I say spending some of your time? No, investing some of your time is more like it because I certainly invest time in making sure that your investment in listening to this show will not be in vain, that will not waste your precious, your most precious commodity, time. And um, I'm recording this show on the 54th anniversary of the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy. And um, the, the reason for that is that uh, tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and um, the uh, the uh, the op- the opportunity to post the uh, the show and get it ready for you is such because of the the holiday weekend and Thanksgiving etc. Uh, we're taking care of it all today, and uh, that should work I think just fine. But uh, so here we are, fifty fourth anniversary of the assassination of our thirty fifth president uh, John F Kennedy. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is that um, whilst uh, obviously the place that people remember for drama on that morning uh, was the the grassy knoll, the book uh, depository, uh, the the road down which the motorcade swept – uh, along with uh, Governor, Texas Governor John Connolly, with President and Mrs. Kennedy. And we sort of think of that as the locus of drama. The truth is that I would say that perhaps the place where most drama was being carried out, where most drama was going on, was actually a few miles away. It was actually at... Uh, um, Parkland Memorial Hospital. That's what I'm thinking. Because um, uh, what happened was that right after the assassination, um, President Kennedy and Governor John Connolly were brought into the emergency room of Parkland Memorial Hospital. And, and that was at about uh, 12.35, just after 12.30 on that Friday, November the 22nd. So, you know, at that point, it was not known how serious the injuries were, although I think to Secret Service people and to Mrs. Kennedy, who were right there, I think they knew the worst. But uh, most people didn't yet know because he hadn't been examined yet, but they raced him into Parkland Memorial. And uh, the the drama was all going on there. You know, at that point, the crowd was still hanging around at uh, the grassy knoll. Um, But the drama, the point of drama had shifted to the hospital because um, not half an hour later, not half an hour later, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, who uh, had um, uh, committed the assassination... He was brought into Parkland, and he died in an operating room at Parkland Memorial Hospital. 
Uh, that was after he was shot by, um, by Ruby, you'll remember, in the basement of Dallas City Hall. And um, it's, it's kind of, when you think about it, oh, no, you know what, I'm sorry, that wasn't Friday. I'm, 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 I'm not correct. I, I'm just looking at the timeline. I'm sorry, it was actually on Sunday. It was basically a dramatic 48 hours is what was going on here uh, because it was 48 hours later uh, on Sunday midday uh, or just after 1 o'clock that Lee Harvey Oswald died on the operating table um, in that same hospital. And in that hospital, in that two-day period, in those 48 hours, it's amazing, but that hospital, Parkland Memorial Hospital, had become the temporary seat of the government of the United States. It had become the temporary seat of the government of the state of Texas. Uh, It became the site where the death of the 35th president occurred. Uh, It also became the place where the 36th president um, Johnson ascended to the presidency. Um, it became the site of the death of uh, President Kennedy's assassin, the R.V. Oswald, and it was the center of the attention of the world. And while all that's going on, Parkland Memorial Hospital is, of course, functioning as a normal hospital, admitting all kinds of unknown people who are not famous, who, who would live or die depending on what uh, had struck them and the skill of the emergency room staff at Parkland Memorial. And um, it, it just gave me a sense of the strength of an institution. There are two kinds of institutions. There are institutions that are incredibly strong and resilient, and I think most families are like that, uh, where families can absorb blows and, and sway with the blow and recover and, and continue to function as an institution. Uh, but there are many institutions that uh, are not like that. Many political institutions are not like that. But uh, the government of the United States, as we saw, yeah, it, you know, it's it's taken it's taken quite a lot in in its time. But somehow, the the wisdom of the founders was such that it was set up in a way to be fairly resilient. And uh, that Friday morning, fifty four years ago. The resilience was certainly tested, no question about it. I think it was also tested in November the 8th, 2016, just over a year ago, um, when, as, as never before, the, the population or large parts of the population uh, tried to reject the results of a constitutional election. Anyways, uh, resilience of institution very important. If you have a family, making sure that its values sustain it and are strong enough to sustain it through a period of stress is very, very helpful. And if you have a business, important as well, that its ability to absorb the blows of fate and and to retain its resilience and to survive, also incredibly important. Uh, think about what are some of those qualities. What are some of the things that you can bring to your family? What are some of those things that you can um, uh, introduce into your family or into your business that will allow it to be resilient? You know, there, there can be a gorgeous glass jar and uh, or a, a vase or a, even, even a light fixture with elaborate uh, glass shapes, blown glass, and the thing looks wonderful, and uh, 
you know, you might even feel it and say, mm, this, this is amazingly strong for something so delicate looking, and, and so it may be. But if you overstress it just past its point of resilience, it shatters, and it's completely unrestorable. At that point, it shatters into thousands of little pieces. That, that's, that, that's the, you know that that's how glass behaves. But uh, other substances are not like that. Wood is, uh, is different. Uh, wood will deform to a considerable extent before it breaks. Uh, steel is like that. Um, you know, everything has its advantages and everything has its disadvantages. But we can learn from material science. We can learn from looking at glass and looking at steel and looking at um, concrete, right? Concrete is brittle. But if you reinforce it with pre-stressed steel, then you've got reinforced concrete, and it bends like a plank of wood. Right? Amazingly resilient is, is what emerges from that. And so uh, what are some of the things that give us the resilience? Let me explain a couple of them coming right back. Our website, of course, rabbidaniellappin.com. Okay, rabbidaniellappin.com is the website, place where you can contact me, reach me. It's also a place where you can take a look and see some of the resources that uh, we prepare for you that uh, are available right there at rabbidaniellappin.com. So uh, enjoy, visit, uh, send me a note, make sure you subscribe to Thought Tools, and I'll be back with you in just a moment. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio. Hi, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and Retirement Curveball is a book by a finance expert that I respect, Dr. Tom McPhee. Whether you are thinking about retirement, are already retired, or have never given the big R even a thought, now is the time to welcome the contents of this book into your mind. The book is filled with compelling aha moments and will motivate you to make some highly effective changes in how you manage your money and your life. I know Dr. Tom McPhee and his terrific book, Retirement Curveball, and I do recommend it. Get the book at retirementcurveball.com or on Amazon. Revealing how the world really works. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. And uh, as I think we all know and understand, one of the ways the world really works is that resilient people survive, resilient institutions survive, resilient organizations survive, but fragile and brittle, above all, brittle people do not survive brittle or brittle institutions do not survive brittle organizations do not survive uh, when we describe something as brittle uh, it means that uh, it, it it it's incapable of taking stress without shattering and uh, and and yes that's true for institutions uh, it's true for uh, decorative objects and it's true for people as well um, again i could write a whole book on resilience, and in fact, many good books have been written on resilience, including uh, analyses of people who've survived under extremely torturous, stressful, grueling circumstances. But um, 
I'm only going to talk about one and perhaps one of the most important aspects of survival, one of the most important aspects of resilience under stress, and uh, I want to tell you what that is. It is optimism. That's right. Because when you are subjected to stress, whether it's your family or your business, if you deeply believe that you can come through it, you will come through it. If you deeply believe that you are able to withstand the grueling stress and you are able to endure whatever is being dished out at you, and you are going to be able to pull yourself right up, stand erect and punch back and proceed to rebuild your institution, your family, your business, yourself, whatever it is, you are much better equipped to do just that. And here is something that in every book I've studied on survival, on endurance, on uh, resilience, on every one of these, they all speak about the fact that when you give up, you're a goner. What's giving up means losing optimism. When you simply no longer believe that you can do it, that you can pull it off. That is the most frightful thing, because when that happens, it makes it a self-fulfilling prophecy. Losing optimism is um, its a sentence of death. It really is awful. And so on the surface of it, it would seem as if I'm suggesting something very simple, which is just be optimistic. But that's complete nonsense. Uh, that's like telling me uh, be a dancer. And, uh, you know, there's as much likelihood of me doing that as there is of me colonizing Mars. Uh, you can't just say to somebody, be optimistic. One has to be able to come up with something far more substantive, far more directional, uh, and something far more instructional, something that will help people do that. And fortunately, I have just the thing for you. And uh, the timing could hardly be better because Thanksgiving is coming right up. And uh, here it is. This is one of the most powerful secrets of ancient Jewish wisdom. And that is that the gateway to optimism is gratitude. That's right. The gateway to optimism is gratitude. And uh, it's often like that, isn't it? Uh, if, if you are into mountain climbing, which uh, I most decidedly am not after uh, an experience, uh, you, you would know that if you look at the peak and uh, you're looking at it from your hotel window, on the morning that you're going to attempt your climb, you know full well that the route to the peak is very seldom what appears to be the direct route, a straight line from your village, from your hotel to the peak, extremely unlikely to be the safest, most effective route to the summit. No, no, the avenue to the summit is almost always indirect, very often not possible to even see it from your starting point. And that's one of the reasons that mountain climbing can be perilous. It's one of the reasons you need to know what you're doing. You need a map. You need, above all, you need a guide, somebody who knows the route, been there before, because you don't see it. It's not obvious. It's not immediately apparent uh, to you as a climber. Very important to understand that. And uh, the same here is true. The summit is optimism. The summit is to develop within our family, among our, our spouse, our children, among us, particularly ourselves, uh, a sense of optimism that uh, we are going to pull through whatever we're grappling against right now in your business, in your personal life, whatever it is, we are going to be able to do. There is a sunrise at the end of the night. We are going to be able to do this. And to simply talk yourself into it, I mean, that doesn't work, right? We, 
Most of us are, are far too smart to fool ourselves. One has to actually achieve a level of optimism. The problem is that, like the summit of the mountain, the route is not direct. You can't just say, uh, I think I'll go straight up to the summit there. No, it doesn't work that way. Neither can you say, I think I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say, yes, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Look, you're not the little engine that could. You're a human being, and that doesn't quite pull it off. So how do you generate optimism? And here's, I say, perhaps one of the most useful and counterintuitive secrets of ancient Jewish wisdom, and the answer is gratitude. To generate feelings of gratitude as a byproduct produce powerful, irresistible, and irrepressible feelings of optimism. And it's life-changing. All of a sudden, as you feel beaten down and hopeless, you feel there's no way to turn, you feel that wherever you look, doors are shut, all of a sudden, all of that goes away, and you literally are suffused with a sense of bright light and a hopeful direction, a path forward. All of these things are feasible when you have optimism. How do you generate optimism? Well, you, you do that by expressing gratitude. By the way, uh, MetLife Insurance conducted an incredibly valuable study a number of years ago. I gave you the details of it a few months back when I spoke about it as well, um, where they were trying to find out what made for uh, agents to stay. They invested a lot of money in training every agent. The uh, attrition rate was very high. The turnover was very high. It was costing them huge sums of money, and they were figuring out if there could be a scientific way of finding out what was the way of measuring the likely success of new employees, new financial agents, uh, all they would need to do is test for that, make a point of hiring for that, and that would cut their turnover down. Well, it turns out uh, that university degrees were valueless, um, education, back, all of these things, nothing was as valuable as one thing. There was one factor which hugely outperformed everything else in terms of pre uh, predicting the success of new uh, business professionals um, signing on to MetLife. That was optimism. Now, they didn't know anything about uh, gratitude. They didn't know how to generate it, but they did develop psychology tests to try and see who is an optimistic personality, and they began to hire for optimism, not for any of the other attributes, or at least they heavily overweighted optimism, and the result was turnover plummeted, uh, attrition plummeted, and profits soared. Yes, optimism is uh, a massively useful thing. And, uh, and so here we are, and for, for you, it's just after Thanksgiving. For me, taping this right now, it's on the eve of Thanksgiving. But uh, I think Thanksgiving is such a powerful and uniquely American celebration that its impact ought to be able to be felt for uh, quite some time after Thanksgiving as well. And so uh, the, the great gift of Thanksgiving is coming out of it with renewed feelings of optimism. Try it. Um, you know, if, if Thanksgiving has passed, that doesn't matter. 
try it. What do I recommend? Well, I know that only a few of you are going to do this, but those that do will see genuine life-changing effects in your own life. I know this because there are many organizations that I speak to on a regular basis, twice a year in some cases, and people come back and tell me when, I'm, when I return. People give testimony as well. People tell me the impact this has had on their lives. So if you want to actually try it, you need to try it for at least four to six weeks. Uh, what you need to do is write down, and it doesn't matter if you write down on paper or you write down in a special private section of your computer or your iPhone, or I shouldn't say iPhone, your Android phone or iPhone, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I, I switched away from iPhones lately. And uh, what you do is uh, you write down every single evening or every morning. Uh, morning is slightly more effective, but evening works as well. You write down three things for which you're grateful. It might be things that happened to you yesterday. It might be things you just thought about. But three different things from what you wrote about yesterday. You know, the first day is easy. You write down, I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for my family, etc. But start trying to drill down. And as the days go by, you, you realize you have to think about it for a few moments, uh, what it is that you're grateful about. And that thinking time where you dedicate yourself to expressing your gratitude in writing will enhance your optimism. There's no question about it. It will do that, and you will feel that. More importantly, uh, the people around you will feel that, and the impact on both your work and your romantic and social connections is enormously powerful. And so that really is, um, is the lesson of today. And I was struck by uh, the story of Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas that somehow, with all that going on, it continued functioning. And I made inquiries about it because I wanted to make sure I was telling you the truth. Like, did they suddenly have to shut down the emergency room? Did they stop functioning as a hospital while all these momentous events were taking place? The eyes of the world focused on this ordinary hospital in Dallas, Texas. No, continue to function. And, uh, and part of that, a sense of optimism, very much a part. And it's part of the job of leadership in any organization to impart a sense of optimism for the future. Very, very necessary and uh, something that some presidents have been very good at. Some presidents have been appalling at it. Um, um, if I may say, I think Mr. Obama has been bad at it. Mr. Jimmy Carter has been bad at it. And um, I, I'm not altogether, well, I'm, I'm not going to go into some of the Republican presidents. There are some Republican presidents that were not good at this uh, either at all. But uh, neither here nor there doesn't matter whether they were. The only thing that matters is if you are willing to embark on a five-week optimism experiment uh, to, 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 you see, you can't get optimism. I'm just saying, oh, I'm going to be optimistic. Everything's going to be okay because you're too smart to be fooled. Right? You know you face serious and challenging and formidable uh, obstacles. It's not good enough to simply say, oh, everything's going to be okay. You know, you're uh, putting your head in the sand. But uh, if you can do something that generates optimism without uh, sort of silly self-affirmations, then you want to do that. And the secret is that, yes, you can. Uh, the secret is gratitude, expressing gratitude and uh, focusing on doing that, by the way, during the course of your day, uh, thanking your spouse, thanking people you work with. And you might, have, you might feel a little silly at first because you think to yourself, this person 
you know, has worked with me in my office for, for five years and I've never said anything to him or her. And now all of a sudden I'm saying you should go up to them and say, you know, I, I haven't really thanked you enough. I may not even have thanked you at all. I just want you to know I do appreciate what you do to help this office work more smoothly. And, uh, and that's a good thing. It's a really positive thing. Not so much for the incredible impact it'll have on that person, but for the even more incredible impact it has on you. Uh, the secret is optimism. It's truly life-changing. And so I hope you have an enormously gratitude-filled week. Uh, my website is, as you know, rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, I'd love you to go through the store and pick a, a resource there that talks to your heart, a resource there that addresses some of the things that you are dealing with. But regardless, uh, every aspect of your life can be improved by finding three opportunities to write, three, writing down three things for which you're grateful and finding ways to express gratitude to other human beings uh, in your life or to God, by the way. It's one of the beauties of regular prayer is um, part of prayers expressing gratitude to God. It has a big impact on you. That's the point. So uh, I wish you a, a week of gratitude, of much gratitude, because the more gratitude you pulled in, build into your week, the more optimism your week will have, and um, the more uh, you will be able to achieve in your family, in your friendships, in your finance, all of these things enhanced by gratitude. So uh, a week until we're together next time of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.